are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So into the season of Advent we go. Of course, contrary to what's happening in the shopping malls, there is not so much a hint of tinsel and shiny ornaments here in this space because the Christian calendar has some work for us to do before we get there. And to be sure, we will get there. But this season, this Advent season, is one in which the church creates a zone quite different from what you'll find in the mall. And that's a good thing. Perhaps it's just for an hour every Sunday. Maybe if you come to daily online evening prayer, it's the same. There's this piece of time, very much Advent. You may have begun to pull out a few seasonal decorations at home or been unable to resist the temptation to get a tree. I know of at least one household that has done that, in part because this year still holds the heaviness of all the COVID unknowns. And the tree brings just a little bit of extra light and life. Trust me, I will not chastise anyone for doing that. But I am delighted that you are here tonight to make this space to engage Advent. It is a kind of alternative zone, which begins with that Bethlehem story suspended far into the future. Rather than an infant in a manger, we have a very adult Jesus in today's gospel, close to the end of his ministry and speaking in some rather dire words about that day and hour, the coming of the Son of Man. And from tonight, we will essentially back our way toward the Nativity story, winding through the figure of John the Baptist next week and the week after, toward Joseph's discovery on the fourth Sunday in Advent that his beloved, betrothed Mary is pregnant and he doesn't know why. And then we finally land on Christmas Eve. But for now, what is it that Jesus is so urgently speaking about in this gospel text? Now, as, as Bishop N.T. Wright points out, modern readers, like us, will most often hear this reading as pointing forward into the future. Given the, given the teachings from the book of Acts and from both Paul and John, insist that when God remakes the world in the fullness of time, Christ will be very much at the heart of it. And so many lean towards seeing this urgent text as addressing that same thing, Jesus' return in the fullness of time. And yet, comments Bishop Wright, it is vital to read the passage as it would have been heard by Matthew's first audience. And there it seems we are back to the great crisis that was going to sweep over Jerusalem and its surrounding countryside at a date that was to them in the unknown future, though we know 
It happened in A.D. 70, at the climax of the war between Rome and Judea. Something was going to happen, Jesus had said, which would devastate lives, families, whole communities. Something that was both a terrible, frightening event and also at the same time the event that was to be seen as the coming of the Son of Man, the royal appearing of Jesus himself. The whole passage indicates what this will be. It will be the swift and sudden sequence of events that will end with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. End quote. Yet you might ask, if this is about that very specific event, the destruction of Jerusalem back in 70 AD, what about those verses in which Jesus speaks of how two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Doesn't that point to a a coming crisis time? When the faithful will be taken up and non-believers left behind, as those popular novels of the 1990s and early 2000s phrased it? If anything, says Bishop Wright, it's the opposite. When invading forces sweep through a town or village, they will take some off to their deaths and leave others untouched. And this did, in fact, happen when the Romans pillaged their way through Judea. So that may be as legitimate a reading as anything. And yet, the warning can still sound, and sound clearly in a world that yet knows war and crisis, and doesn't our world yet know war and crisis? One glance at a news story from Ukraine, and you know One glance at different parts across the African continent, and you know. One glance into Iran right now, and you know. And we've had some glances in our own country and our own continent as well. In the time between Jesus establishing his church, his people under the reign of Christ, and the day when God will remake this broken world, we do live under the threat of crisis. Be awake Be aware, be ready, be open. That's the abiding message, particularly in this season of Advent. Now, as was the case two Sundays ago, it's interesting then to be confronted by a crisis gospel and yet nurtured by a hope-filled passage from the prophet Isaiah. In the days to come, the prophet sings, and it is as if he's singing. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be raised above the hills, all nations shall stream to it. Swords into plowshares, he dreams, spears into pruning hooks. Not only will the nations no longer lift their swords against one another, but, quote, neither shall they learn war anymore. The city of Jerusalem is imaged as the place that will stand at the center of this new and utterly renewed world, a peaceable kingdom. And yet, 
In those early days of the ancient church, long after Isaiah had written these words, Jerusalem was flattened, Judaism dispersed. No more was there a temple to which the people could journey to make their sacrifices and offer their tithes. No more was there the ritual of releasing a goat, literally a scapegoat, Chasing it from the city is a sign of the banishment of all sin and brokenness. The city itself was broken. Its temple shattered. And to this day there is nothing left aside from the remnant that is now known as the Wailing Wall. That's all that's left of the temple. So was Isaiah simply wrong? Or will that temple need to be rebuilt? I mean, there are some Christians who do believe that the modern city of Jerusalem will one day hold a rebuilt, a reconstructed temple. Then all that Isaiah had envisioned will come to be. But there's another way of looking at this, one rooted in the scriptures. Remember the scene where Jesus chases the money changers and the merchants from the temple? Well, in John's telling of the story... After he does that, he's immediately confronted by some of the people who question his right to do such a thing. How can you, how can you chase people out like that? On what authority do you stand? And he responds, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. To which John parenthetically adds, he was speaking of the temple of his body. And then turn to Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, his first letter, in which he's tuning them up on all matter, manner of issues, including questions of respect or disrespect they were showing for their own physical bodies. And to correct them, Paul says rather bluntly, quote, for God's temple is holy, you are that temple embodied you are that temple. So no, for while Isaiah himself might have been envisioning that the restoration of all things must be tied to the physical Jerusalem temple, in Jesus and in the early church there's a growing realization that the old temple has now been replaced by the new. And the new is Christ, Christ's body, which is the church together which is us. The Wailing Wall in Jerusalem might still be a holy place, a pilgrimage place, a site of devotion, and that's not a bad thing. But we must primarily see that Christ's work and dominion is not tied to this place or that place, but is rather meant to be wherever Christ's people are. Tonight, here, tomorrow dispersed, wherever we are, that is Christ's work. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily feel all that temple-like all the time. Certainly during those weeks earlier in October when I was laboring under the weight of a COVID infection, my body felt anything but holy, tired, 
worn out, sick, sure, but holy? Yet Paul's challenge is clear. And it's borne out in all that he writes about the church being the body of Christ. Tired and worn and vulnerable as we might be, we are meant to walk together as Christ's body, even as the new temple. And so with Isaiah, we are bold to proclaim, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Welcome to Advent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesse tree I'm going to set my people free into their desert and into their night I'm going to send my sweet pure light and there'll be peace joy hope and love there will be peace joy hope This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.